Ignite your curiosity with Austin next. We're watching Austin transform from a thriving ecosystem into a global superstar. With our host, Jason Scharf, we aspire to better comprehend the true nature of innovation. Together, we will uncover what makes a successful ecosystem and navigate the technologies shaping our future. Now let's dive into what's next. Austin is adapting to and building the future in real time. I'm Michael Scharf. We are exploring and driving our transformation into the next innovation powerhouse. I'm Jason Scharf. I'm a bio-researcher at UT to the assembly line worker at Tesla, from the musician on 6th Street to the coder at Dell. And with the founders, funders, and early employees of the next great startup, we are all Austin Next. Austin Next goes boom. Today, the Austin Next team and the Boom ATX podcast team get together. Lee Snendecker and Glenn Hart have been talking about Austin for about as long as we have, but they have the advantage of a much deeper knowledge about Austin's history and culture. We had a wide-ranging discussion from real estate to startups, from music to restaurants, and much, much more. We think you'll enjoy the conversation as much as we did. Glad to be hanging out <laughs> with uh, fellows today from Austin Next. Yeah, I we're happy to be here as well. You know, we've been following you guys for a little bit. And then at some point now, Apple Podcasts has started to recommend our podcast and yours are the same. So the algorithms think there's some sort of interaction. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> they're, they're, the algorithms are interesting. I ran an ad on Instagram for our new family truckster. Yes. I don't know if you guys have seen it on LinkedIn. What did we buy? We bought a 1989 Mercury uh, Marquee. Uh, Grand. Grand Marquee Colony Park Wagon. It looks oh, very wow. similar to the National Lampoon Station Wagon. Yes, it was. Yes. And we're racing it to Vegas in a race. And so I just took a picture of it and ran an ad on Instagram. And the picture got 400 likes. And then I looked at the stats. And the vast majority of those were from Texas. So the algorithms are just like, oh, well, Lee's in Austin. He ran an ad. Well, pump out the family truckster to all these Texans and they'll all like it. Absolutely. And I was telling Glenn, I've probably never liked a random picture on social media. Mm. So there's a bunch of people just sitting around liking family truckers <laughs> on the weekends. You, do, you, do you have a family truckster? No. no. Okay. Well, you don't have family truckers, but introduce yourself. I, I, I'm, I'm Glenn with uh, boom ATX. We got our co-host Lee here on the Boom ATX side. Lee Snedeker. Lee Snedeker. Glenn Hart. And then the Austin Next guys. Uh, next. Jason Scharf here. Um, you know, 18 months now in Austin and also Welcome. do early stage investing and biotech executive. And I'm Michael Scharf. I beat him by a week because he had to wait till the end of school before, <laughs> before coming out. And I uh, do a lot of work with uh, growing companies as a board member. Well, don't feel bad. I'm, I too am a transplant. 23 years or something. I was born here. Uh, didn't fully grow up here, but grew up in East Texas. So a little cultural shock for some people hearing my voice. Apparently the more I drink, the more the East Texas drawl comes out hilarious, but, uh, been here for, yeah, I guess going on full time for 25 years. Yeah. We've really seen it, seen it change. Welcome the to next, Texas. Yeah. Really Thank you. change really, is the word. Really seen the Austin next, uh, proliferate here in the last three, four years. Feels like I, I was curious to see what what f time frame you were going to put right because as far as I can tell, that's been the one constant in Austin, right? right? It has been changed. Even you go back to the you know mid eighteen hundreds, 
Um, I know when we had John Butler on, he said like, oh, this is the sixth wave of innovation. And I'm like, yeah, if you think about it, it's probably like the 30th. Right. As you kind of keep going back. And what's always been funny is the frame, whether this was a lot when I was like taking taxis down in, at South by, I was like, oh, well, if you had seen it when I came here five years ago, it's, five always seems to be that <laughs> magic number of just like, it's changed that. So it'd be, it'd be fascinating to look at and have that conversation, you know, in five years from now, when we're like, man, during the COVID migration people, that was the best it ever was. And now it's all ruined. It's all that, you know? So it's these interesting increments that kind of go. No, absolutely. Uh, Ron White, the comedian, one of his, one of his bits is, uh, I don't know if he only does it when he's in Austin, but it's, uh, yeah, I was talking to a, to a cab driver and he said, yeah, Austin's pretty cool now, but man, you should have seen it when I got here. How long you been here? Since Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So, yeah, everybody has their point of reference of, of uh, when the cool Austin was or what in their head was cool. Or some people now is, is this is the best it's ever been. And we'll see. We'll see what the future holds, what the next Austin is. I don't know. I noticed Austin growing for years and years and the traffic getting heavier. But I didn't feel like I really noticed the kind of changes that happened when Elon and Rogan and, you know, right around COVID, like, mm-hmm. Then it just like rapidly changed. Yeah. There was an interesting model. I know we talked about the fact that like all of us interviewed Peter Rex and there was something, the model that he put that really kind of stuck with me when thinking about these kind of migration classes, just as that, like we're all coming into the first day of school together. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that you grouped, had kind of a group together, Rogan, Musk, Rex, us, like there's, you see that, that might be some of the, you know, if we went back and look, I'm sure there is, you know, whether it's 180 people per day, but not only is there innovation waves, but there's probably migration waves that come too. And that culture and shifts during those kind of waves as well. Yeah. I don't know that the population has spiked that much over the year. Driver, And he said, yeah, Austin's pretty cool now, but man, you should have seen it when I got here. How long have you been here? Since Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> right. So yeah, everybody has their point of reference of, of, uh, when they cool Austin was or what in their head was cool. Or some people now is, is this is the best it's ever been. And we'll see, we'll see what the future holds, what the next Austin is. I don't know. I noticed Austin growing for years and years and the traffic getting heavier, but I didn't feel like I really noticed the kind of changes that happened when Elon and Rogan and, you know, right around COVID, like Mm -hmm. then it just like rapidly changed. Yeah. There was an interesting model. I know we talked about the fact that like all of us interviewed Peter Rex and there was something, the model that he put that really kind of stuck with me when thinking about these kind of migration classes, just as that, like we're all coming into the first day of school together. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that you grouped, had kind of a group together, Rogan, Musk, Rex, us, like there's, you see that, that might be some of the, you know, if we went back and look, I'm sure there is, you know, whether it's 180 people per day, but not only is there innovation waves, but there's probably migration waves that come too. And that culture and shifts during those kind of waves as well. Yeah. I don't know that the population has spiked that much over the years. I mean, I think it's, I think it's been pretty constant. I mean, it's increased a little bit just year after year, but I mean, I feel like the, in the real estate development world has really spiked definitely since, since COVID, as far as, I mean, the announcements are getting bigger, uh, $80 billion announcement potentially for Micron chips in, in uh, Lockhart. It's an unfathomable number. uh, Wow. Well, (laughs) I can tell you about the speed of change. So when we first decided to come here, July of 2020, um, we started looking in, you know, websites for homes. And we found a four-bedroom, 
condo on the golf course, $289,000 in the middle of Round Rock. And you were like, wow, that's a steal. Oh, I can say, yeah, for the price of the home I'm selling in San Diego, I'll buy that one and the one next door <laughs> and the one next door to that. And I'll have some rental property kind of thing. When we got out here and started looking for a home, no. Mm -hmm. It had changed that quick. It had changed that quick, yes. I couldn't buy the one next door and the one next door. <laughs> I could buy mine, but that was about it. And that, yeah, now it'll be curious yeah, what the next, because Austin's never had that incredible run up escalation so quick. So in 08, when the downturn happened everywhere else, Austin had, hadn't completely spiked, so there wasn't as much room to come down. Whereas now we've spiked significantly, uh, and we'll wait and see if all the, the uh, experts are right or not, if we have a, a correction coming, a significant correction coming. But I think still you just got to keep in mind what it's, what it's correcting from. And two, we're still going to be well ahead of 2019, what the trajectory was. So I mean, that's the concern I have, right? Like we talk about now that we are, you know, the numbers in terms of like housing inventory, we're getting back towards normal. The question is, are we going to fly past normal uh, and be towards, oh, now we're in a, we're right. in kind of a bear market. But, you know, I don't think, you know, I haven't obviously haven't seen the, the immigration or the growth stats for this year, mm -hmm. but they seem to be keep going, right? We still continue to build. So, you know, I hope it's, you know, like the speed of growth to, of at least uh, housing price attributed growth to go down but not necessarily the prices, you know, themselves to right. drop off a cliff. Right. And right. you see that kind of expansion and that it was interesting. I had to, you know, drive out to Marble Falls this morning and it struck me the same thing that's kind of, that struck me when I was uh, driving, when we went up to Dallas for the, 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 the state fair was there's a, it's a nice area here. There's just nothing here versus the big contrast with like California. If you go out, you know, an hour and a half, it's like, oh, there's nothing here because it's the desert. And you, there's you, nothing to, you, you wouldn't want to put something here either. You know, Vegas is a unique situation where let's build in the middle of nothing. Yeah. Right. Good point. Yeah. The, I mean, the Austin, that's the one thing, the difference, like at some point, I think you can look at Austin's trajectory at, at some point to San Francisco. I don't know at what, what point of San Francisco we're aligning with, but San Francisco is so much different because they are, they have the Bay and they, they don't have a lot of expansion. So it is tied in there. Whereas Austin, we have realistically unlimited land available North, East and South. Some environmental challenges to the West, but I mean, I mean, you talk in Seguin to Killeen <laughs> is, you know, 200 miles. It's, it's not barren. It's not ugly. It's just right. Far and it's just farmland. There's farmland. It's a cleared farmland, flat. If you can figure out water and wastewater, we have the potential to keep developing for hundreds of years. Hopefully, not just in sprawl and continued the single family, quarter acre lots. Um, driving in forty five minutes to to work, but hopefully, we, hopefully, we have some changes, technology, and and uh, flexibility that that really help. That's what we're seeing a lot now in Williamson County. Just yeah. saw some stats the other day at least half the people who live there now work in Williamson County. Mm -hmm. So as we develop this multi-hub kind of environment where, yeah, I can, you know, if I live in Williamson County and I work in Williamson County, okay, it's an extra half hour. If I have to go downtown for something, yeah. you know, participate in something at the state Capitol or whatever, go to UT, but I don't do that every day. Yeah. And I think it is, it's cost prohibitive now to to work, downtown for, for the vast majority of people. But I think at, at some point, just the, in the, in the, the mindset was if I'm not somewhere centrally located, I'm cutting off half my employee uh, workforce, right? If you're, if you're in, you're in Kyle, you're not going to work in Cedar park. 
But now I think, and I don't know, Apple, Apple seemed like one of the first ones, right, with their campus. The if, if you build it, they will come. We're confident. We're going to go out here, and we're confident services are going to sprout out around it, you know, dry cleaning, restaurants, all the, all the services that maybe aren't there now. We're going to get there, and our employees are going to be able to live in Cedar Park, Leander, and drive 10 miles in not terrible traffic to work. Maybe there are some South Austin people that would want to work at Apple and, and they'll, and they'll move. Or we're that what'll risk. be really interesting though, is, is taking like uh, meta, right? Which is not only has the campus near Apple, but now they just, you know, bought up whatever 33 floors of six in Guadalupe. And I'm still really fascinated to see what their plan is from the perspective of, is it going to be just pure talent goes where you want? Like if you want to be, and you want to live up in Cedar park, you'll go up to there. If you want to live downtown, you go there. Are they going to be functionally based? Like, okay. I don't care where you want to be. We're going to put all finance downtown. We're going to put all, you know, however it's structured. And to see how that then plays out, represented is, do we start leaning towards where the talent wants to be? But I can always, we all can go to the campus right. tomorrow if we have to get in and do a large, you know, a big meeting or something. So I'll be very curious to see what they do. I, I want to see them live downtown so that it stays yeah. vibrant and there's people. If they go live somewhere else, downtown will start to, Suck. Yeah. What is y'all's thoughts on the, the, and it's, and it's just the four that I'm focusing on the meta Google Snapchat and TikTok with their towers delivering in the next, I don't know, six to 18 months. That's like 2 million square feet of, for companies that have hiring freezes and pauses and, and work from home, you know, protocols. Um, obviously they're going to pay their lease and we're not going to have, you know, foreclosed towers downtown. Uh, but yeah, if you, we don't want vacant towers with the restaurants still struggling during the day because the bachelor party, bachelorette parties haven't come in for the weekends. Um, you know, we need a, need a full 18 hour city or whatever they're calling it these days really to have that a healthy environment downtown. Well, I think a couple of things when we talked to uh, Todd Runkle over at Gensler and he talked about, creating these combined live work play environments. And a lot of it was going to be on the backs of those companies you just mentioned. And his description was that every, I don't know, seven, eight, 10 floors was going to be a floor with accommodations with those kinds of, of places where people who work there could blow off some steam, get some dry cleaning done, eat whatever it was kind of thing. When we toured Oracle's campus, you know, the first thing you see when you get out of the car in the parking structure is there's a place where you can take care of all your dry cleaning. And then you walk in and of course there's the Starbucks and then there's the cafeteria and there's this and there's that. So I don't think downtown will ever be emptied if for no other reason than UT is five blocks away, six blocks away kind of thing. You're always going to have a group of people who want to live near the university. And you're always going to have a group of people that want to be able to take students from the university, undergrads and grads, and have them come and work where they are. I mean, I had a big operations center when I was working for a bank and we were located right uh, two miles from Cal State Northridge. And I hired two dozen kids off campus because I wanted them to work in the afternoon making phone calls for me kind of thing. And we used to go and we'd get them. And like once a week, we'd do a training session so that they could learn more about banking and that kind of thing because they were all finance majors. But given the location of the university, given the location of the state capital, I'm never worried about downtown being emptied out. I think it's going to change over time. I think we're going to see different people. I don't know what's going to happen with the Facebooks and the Googles and the like, because, and, and you're more in commercial real estate than I am, 
what I've seen in Southern California is much more of this um, atomization of locations and then consolidation and atomization and consolidation. So I wouldn't be surprised if in 10 years Meta sold whatever property they had downtown to go and get, go and build more around their North Austin campus and TikTok bought that and whatever, wherever they are in, they brought people back into downtown. So change is constant. I don't think that's going to be anything we have to concern ourselves with. But I want to ask you a question in that, and you, you mentioned this, you, you listed the, t- you said university and then you said the capital. And so that is a unique thing. And something that's always struck me about the city is there seems to be a divergence that I can't put my finger on because you have capitals like Albany and Sacramento that are, there's not that anything there, right? That is everything that is, is, then obviously you have, you know, us, Atlanta, and then a few other places where there is a vibrancy that's around. And I don't know if that's because of the capital, in spite of it, how that interaction plays together. But then speaking of, you know, the downtown, like, okay, that makes it even more of a unique situation since we have the part-time legislature. So I don't know how all of right. that interplays into the actual effect on the footprint in downtown, whether we have, because you're right, like the Google, like we may be in the hiring freezes, they're going to be able to pay the rent clearly. Right. Um, so that will come back whatever time, whenever that kind of uh, strings now, but how does the capital play into this? I mean, the, you, you touched on it with the, with the, um, you know, the, it'll, they're only being in session every other year for however many months. So it's not, it's not a full-time addition to the downtown. There's a, there's a complete, you know, noticeable ring around the Capitol that is older, shorter buildings, surface parking lots, struggling restaurants, because you, you can't survive on a good nine months every two years of, of clientele. Um, and they, they're doing the big uh, capital complex expansion north of the, north of the Capitol along, along Congress, right there by the Bob Bullock Museum. And they're planning all these amenities, a huge green uh, Texas mall, they're calling it. So there's this huge grass lawn. Um, and in, in my head, the typical state worker drives in to the underground parking garage at, at eight o'clock, seven fifty-eight, whatever goes, takes the elevator to their office at lunch. They have their sack lunch and then they mall walk in the halls of the, of the office and then leave at four thirty, never going out to the hangout and, and do whatever they, it, but yet it, it's also, it's, it's right next to UT, but UT has their own malls and their own plate. They're not, they're not going to cross MLK to go hang out on this grassy knoll. Uh, and the people downtown aren't going to go across the Capitol. So, you know, it's, I think it's just this kind of, for lack of a better word, dead man zone that, that just doesn't have the constant activation. Uh, the, the most positive thing I think is for the, the Dell, Dell hospital, the UT Seton, uh, hospital and, and all they're trying to, to bring around it and the life sciences and, uh, those types of things. So that kind of will help bridge that gap. And, and at least on that, on that Eastern side, um, really helped to develop that and bridge the, it's, it's bridging the downtown for, from term UT. Um, whereas the Capitol, you know, you get visitors and protesters year round. Um, but and lobbyists that, and lobbyists. Sure. Sure. Are they any different from the visitors and protesters? <laughs> <laughs> Depends on who you ask. But you just said an interesting thing and I, I want to parallel that. Right. So, uh, you know, my background in, in area is all in the life sciences space 
And there's been this push and, you know, I've said this publicly and in, in, in different things of that innovation center all around Del Med and the hospital and everything. But your description of the capital worker is how in many ways I would describe clinicians who are there, especially mm -hmm. if you're doing like a 12 hour shift, yeah. the idea that you're interacting and, and having these wonderful creative collisions with the, all the companies that are going to be around them. Like, no, no, they want to go home, you know, <laughs> right. it's a long day, yeah. you know, or, or they're at weird. I mean, you know, one of my closest friends, uh, back in San Diego was, is an ER doctor and, you know, he's been doing it for a long time. And I think the way he put it, like, you gotta be 50 something to get it like a nine to five structure. So he still gets like overnight shifts. And like, so this, this idea that you're, you're, I think it is extraordinarily valuable having Dell med and all of the infrastructure around it. And I think being the ability to interact and, and collide with it, but I think it becomes more structured. Like, Hey, if I'm going to go run a pilot study with them, great. Then I'm going to go there, work with the clinician. That's a set time. But this, like, we're going to run into them in the coffee shop, <laughs> like you do with the, all the other startups. And Hey, I'm going to, I have this problem, this idea. And he's like, I got to go back to patients. Right. Like I don't have yeah. the time to just sit and chat. Right. Yeah. My pager just went off. I'm expecting surgery in two minutes. <laughs> it's a four minute walk. Well, we love our outdoor spaces and the uh, Moody Amphitheater is yeah. kind of part of all of that right next to Dell. Yeah. We're pushing for a, a, a Moody podcast studio sponsorship. It's the roof, right? The it says yeah, yeah. Moody Studios. Apparently they're just don't tossing around money in Austin for entertainment. <laughs> wait, 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 count us in, man. You want to get in on that? Or yeah. You, you get we just got to apply for a uh, grant and you, you, <laughs> You're the money man. So oh, we can yeah. do that, right? We, sure. We've been talking about it since in the, banking. Yeah, we've been talking about it since the first podcast. All the confusion and all the different Moody venues, and finally KLRU did a did a uh, article on people showing up at one of the other Moody theaters to an event that's you know at the new Moody Center or Moody Arena or whatever it's being called. I had a sense of it that happened. I didn't go in depth in the article. I saw the article. So I was like, oh yeah, there is like six things oh, yeah. with all the same name. I'm like. Makes no sense. And I have no idea who the Moody's are and what they're talking about. My next question was, like, I think they're Galveston. Mo or, Moody Bank, you know. Well, I know, but, yeah. but that's not a. But Galveston. Yeah. yeah. So all the way back to like the 1800s. Right, yeah. Very, very yeah. wealthy family. Oh, absolutely. And there's like three of them here in town that dole out the money. Yeah. That's so. completely separate from the bank. The oh, yeah. yeah. You put in your, your request yeah. for a grant. Because yeah. and... I, I reached out to uh, a friend with Moody Bank when that article came out, and I, I asked for a Moody Amphitheater sponsor. Uh, and he thought I was serious, um, <laughs> but he unfortunately had moved on to a different bank, so he was not able to help us. Uh, a portion of their money has to be spent on the arts. So that's why you tend to see them jump out in front of all these music venues. And Yeah. Well, yeah. we appreciate that because sure. we love the arts here. This is This is an amazing music town. Is and it? Have either of you been it? to any of the Moody venues? Not yet. Not yet. Oh, it's time. Yeah, I went to, I went to the Irwin Center for uh, Monster Trucks with the kids. You did, yeah. Uh, yes. And you just went I to the new did. Moody Center. I did. Hot Wheels Monster Trucks at the Moody Center. It was ridiculous. It was the size of a McDonald's parking lot. There was no dirt. You could jump over one car and then have slam on the brakes. Kids loved it, but it was kind of ridiculous. And I went to the new PBR <laughs> Rodeo Bull games, running. yeah, yeah, this call them games. weekend yeah. at the Moody Center. Yeah, so the Austin Gamblers. We have our own rodeo team. Rodeo team, yeah, it's a professional bull, professional bull riding uh, league. We, we continue. We're, we're moving up in the in the in the pieces, right? It'll be very interesting to see what happens with the Spurs coming up here. Uh -huh. I I still think it's been some interesting conversations. I I think I think it's Portland and Minnesota, which I find as. I don't know how much influence obviously the Spurs organization had on, on these, on these teams, but it's an interesting pairing, right? Portland is 
fine. Minnesota's obviously on its way up. Like on one hand, I think you clearly missed out on having Dallas and Houston as uh, possible opponents or any of the marquee teams have the Warriors come in, the Lakers, the Celtics, the, the Bucks, or whatever. Now, somebody made a great point about, well, do you necessarily want Dallas or Houston? Because if, you know, Spurs come in and then lose to that team and Austin's allegiance might be up in the air for that moment, you know, you're coming in at Dallas like, oh, Luca's here and he's exciting and they won. Mm, okay, that might be a problem. And then obviously if you, you could bring in the big names like the Warriors, which my understanding of where the Spurs are right now is still kind of a rebuilding that, you know, playoff uh, edge case. So coming in and having the Warriors beat them handily is not going to grow the base either. So it's that LinkedIn debate of uh, San Antonio versus Austin. Oh, it's so ridiculous. And I brought it up in a meeting last week in San Antonio and everybody in the room was like, <sighs> like they were going to beat me up when I was like, are the Spurs going to move to Austin? I mean, the most <laughs> impressive thing about San Antonio is their passion for San Antonio. I'm jealous of that. I will go on the record of admitting I am, I'm jealous. Austin does not have that, that hometown passion. It's more of we're cool, whatever. Yeah. Come if you want. But at the same time, I mean, it, it, the, 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 the crux of the matter is uh, San Antonio doesn't even have a stadium naming partner currently. About to start the season, AT&T's contract was up. Oh, I didn't um, realize that. And uh, they have a, a jersey sponsor, Swish, or somebody from Austin. Uh, you know, and Dell just bought a piece of and them. And it does be. So it's, it's, you see the Moody Center and you see the, and, it, and that was all about your, your seating less than the Irwin Center. The Irwin Center was not a good, a good venue, but you, you're seating less. The, it was all about the sweet sales. The, that's where the money is, right? I didn't realize the Moody is smaller than the Irwin in terms of total mm -hmm. capacity. Oh, yeah. interesting. So it's the sweet sale. That's where the money's made, sure. right? You're, right? You're not making your money on, on $20 tickets. Sweets and seats. Wait, wait, $20 tickets? No, come on. For UT basketball. Oh, for UT basketball. Yeah, okay. oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Concert so tickets, are, it's going to be $180, $200. I mean, so, yeah, at some point, UT didn't want to be in the entertainment business. They they, they didn't, they don't want to put on monster truck rallies. So they, they got someone else to build a new new venue, and they're doing handling all the tickets, promotion, talent, everything. And they just like, you just give us our schedule for home games when we need it and in a really nice arena, and we're there. Well, and there's an interesting balance going on between, like, I, I'm a big fan of the mega region. I think there's a lot that we can uh, utilize together. I was down in San Diego last last week. Um, San Antonio. That's what I meant, San Antonio last week. I don't know what. <laughs> I, what did I They're both San, 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 San Diego. I was in San Diego like three weeks ago. Um, or whatever it was. I, I can't, I don't know where I am. And, you know, and then, you know, recently I, I you know, then it was in the month before and there was this kind of moment that really struck me because there was this kind of thing of like, we need all these VCs from these areas to move you know, to move down to San Antonio to see everything that we're doing. And I'm like, I had a podcast recording in the morning. I was down in San Antonio for lunch, for the meeting and back by dinner. And actually when I was there last week, it was even a, a tighter time frame. I had a bunch of meetings in the morning in San Antonio, went to the thing, was back here for a 3.30 meeting, right? And I actually got here early. So it, there's a lot that can be had there. But what's, what's really interesting, you know, because I've got small kids, so looking at all the types of venues and different things, and, you know, we've, we've gone to Six Flags, we've gone to, um, to Schlitterbahn, and then also we've gone to Kalahari, and, and it's funny, I've gone to a couple of uh, water parks since going to Kalahari, and, like, that's about it. I'm just going to, it's 20 minutes away, it's right. indoors, it's great. Um, you know, you have Six Flags, and then you've got Coda's building one. So Well, let's not get carried away. You think that's not happening? I wouldn't put it in the same sentence with Six Flags. I don't know. 
<laughs> oh, n- not as badass as Six Flags. <laughs> like their amusement park. Uh, have you been to the F1 little amusement skeptical. park? Yeah. I have, but I'm understanding that, that the what they're building over the next two years, and correct me if I'm wrong, no, they are talking about building like some that's what they're regular level, about. you know, roller coasters. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it'll be like their soccer team they had. Yeah. I mean, and I wish them well. I, I mean, well, they, we got to gotta get some revenue out there for them year round. Sorry, for, Coda for people. Sense. Um, you know, they, they, they did buy the couch potatoes which was fantastic to keep that alive from the old uh, couch potato of, uh, couch manufacturer here in town. They had mm-hmm. the huge, on I-35, they were probably 20 feet tall couch potatoes on a couch. Uh, so they got them out there, and it's just as random as it sounds. Uh, but I, I wish them well. They, I mean, it's, we're now, this is the 11th, 10th or 11th year of the F1 race, and there's not a single thing developed around the, around the track. But back when it was announced, there was a land rush for farmland around that, People thinking it was, I don't know what they were thinking was going to happen around the F1 track year round, but people thought they were going to, that was their gold, golden ticket. It's kind of like the capital. <laughs> Once a year, something happens out yeah. there. And you can sell $20 parking in a pasture. But can, we, can we handle another water park? I mean, that'd be Kalahari. No, no, it was an amusement park that they were yeah, building. Oh, amusement park. Amusement yeah, yeah, park. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was more, yeah, I think obviously another water park, but but it's interesting because I've not been where well, we consciously stayed away F1 just because of the craziness, but haven't been for a race, but I've been for their, you know, trail of lights. Yeah. Uh, we went, they had the inner, the immersive Van Gogh uh, exhibit. So yep. been there a few times for stuff. Right? right. And it's, it'll be interesting as, and it's a unique venue. So I think the first time actually it was the, the Van Gogh exhibit we went, it was like, Oh, it's at Coda. I was like, where what? it's I'm going, to the, I'm going to the racetrack yeah. for an art piece. Was that actually in a tent? Is it a tent? Yeah. Was it a tent? Like, uh, Next door. I'm they do Cirque de Soleil in a tent there too. Interesting. They also do a circus show in the parking lot at Martin Creek. And now all the crappy metal concerts are out there. Nice. All the good shows are at the Moody Center. There you go. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we have enough music <laughs> venues. I don't know. You know, we got, you know, concerts cranking up at the Q2 Stadium. They figured out how to put plywood down on the on the grass. Keep the grass. Um, had Willie Nelson out there. Shout out to, to Lee for the tickets. That was a pretty good show. And my pleasure. Enjoyed enjoyed uh, enjoyed the Willie Nelson concert. It was ridiculously hot, and uh, unlike any other Fourth of July picnic, I guarantee he's ever had. But he's he's getting up there, so he probably enjoyed it. But now to go back to the me- mega mega region thoughts, I'm curious y'all's take because I because one I don't know DFW. I don't I don't under, I don't I don't know the area that well, but I don't understand what what is the the overlap, the tie, the relationship between Dallas and Fort Worth, except they're reasonably close with an airport in the middle. So as far as a DFW being a thing, is the, what, what is that thing? What is the benefits besides a central airport? Uh, and then it even seems like Dallas is, is not a thing much anymore. It's more north of Dallas and the suburbs that are really getting the PGA headquarters, all yeah, the, all all the, the new, big growth, all the new centers. So the mega regions, and, and DFW being the primary one, it's important and it works because they're different, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And Dallas is, especially in the, in the northern suburbs, especially becoming the headquarters place for yeah. Fortune 500 companies. Fort Worth is still the stockyards. It's still more of the middle-class manufacturing kind of thing. If you got a Miller distributor or a manufacturer, yeah. Yeah. So it works together because I don't think there's much in the way of an overlap. So then is it a thing or just coincidence? They happen to be, but I think in their, in the acronym, two very to big regions with a airport split down the middle to but, an extent. 
I think that, so we, we, we dove into this. We had uh, Colm Clark on from uh, SMU to really talk about, he called it polycentric geography. And the origin of that actually was, he was on a Freakonomics episode doing uh, a deep dive into Dallas-Fort Worth. Mm -hmm. And I think the difference is the multi-hub nature, which is we as Austin are growing alone and then obviously bringing in San Antonio, is the the talent pool increases, the, the capital increases. So it's the fact that Plano has X and um, Fort Worth has Y and Arlington, but they're all, you are available as a, as an idea, as a talent, as capital across all of them. So you now have the ability to have a, it's not, a, I think Dallas is, I think 4 million people or something, but it's a 7 million person Metro that is interconnected and is able to, more easily grow across. So I think that's, that's in the, what the change has been is, you know, going back a hundred years. And obviously I think we're, we're starting to break that where it was like, okay, you have the single central hub and it, and it pulled like New York, Manhattan being the, the, the opinion of that pulls from everything in. And then that's it, right? That's, that's all, all of it. And that, that creates, I think a little more monolithic thought and innovation, right? So um, one of the things that I see has been problematic with Silicon Valley recently is the, I'll call it consumer internet. Now, whether it's web two, web three, if you look at like web three that's going out there right now, it's much more of like, we're gonna, it's not FinTech, it's much more of like, and I'm being overly simplistic, but we're gonna make decentralized social media. We're gonna make, it's all of the things that we're still making today. It's decentralized metaverse. So it's that same continuum and it's become such a talent and capital suck that, they're kind of like, you're stuck in that now. Like that's the you're going to do when you have the broader region and the differences and those kinds of things, then it just allows us to have a greater diversity of the economy that can create one interesting creative collisions and two also different recessionary effects, right? Like if right now we're more of a crypto winter. Okay. So Miami went all in on that. So they're feeling the effects of that. It's not great, you know, for the web three and the crypto companies and blockchain companies here, but it's not going to have a knock on effect to the space industry, the EV industry. Right. Right. There's enough going on here. It's interesting because to get back to your point, I think a number of these factors are promotion. Mm -hmm. There's this book called the Texas triangle and it talks about Dallas, Fort Worth. It talks about Houston and ASA. Austin, San Antonio. You at least got it right. If there's ever going to be a mega region, sorry, San Antonio, it's going to be ASA, not SAA. Right. <laughs> of course. Well, just said that just on the ha happenstance that it becomes a, a well, mega and, region. And, and from just a pure, you know, I was an English major uh, in college. It's pure language. ASA flows much better than SA. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Flying to SA. It's, it's mm. when they go through the various cities, you could almost call it the Texas polygon because there wasn't that much in terms of commonality between right. Dallas and Fort Worth. And, and it's interesting because in a prior, in my corporate life, I used to be out in Dallas every five, six weeks. We, our data centers and headquarters were in Plano and our head office was in Orange County. So I'd be out here with my product team and got to know Dallas a little bit. Didn't get to know Fort Worth at all. Mm -hmm. Spent a little bit of time in Houston, never spent any time here. Uh, in, in Austin before we moved out. But I know that every airport has a three-letter designation, and that was the extent of how much the two, the two cities were together, at least for me and my experience. If that's changed, great. You guys, all, all you listeners know how to get a hold of us. You know where our podcast sites are. Just get back to us and tell us we're so wrong. But um, they're different towns with different things. But And, and this is something that, that Chase and I have talked about on the podcast quite a bit in terms of 
how far you can pull for workers and how much is not going to be remote work anymore. And if you're, you know, even Apple that's having all these problems, they want everybody at their desk three days a week. September 5th. Yeah. That's coming real quick. Which I will say, I did see a many instances where it said three times a week, and I thought that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, they want everybody there like or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I think is what it is. But it was like 10 to 2, maybe that counts as one time. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but think about it. You know, if you're living in Houston and you're remote working most of the time because your function is your BD officer, you're a writer, you're a coder, and so you need to be there or you don't need to be anywhere. But if you want to get everybody together here in Austin, cause that's where the headquarters is mm-hmm. great. Hey, it's one 30 in the afternoon on a Monday and everybody here Tuesday at eight o'clock in the morning. Okay, great. No problem. You can drive in from Houston. It's not that hard. It's not, it's totally different than what we considered this to be even three years ago yeah. here in Austin and, and everywhere else, you know, telecommuting was a separate thing and, Everybody else worked in the office. Now it's a hybrid. That's where we're going to end up. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to work. I wouldn't want to have a job where I could 100% work from home because that pretty much means I'm making widgets that anyone across the country or world could do. So where's my, <laughs> how do I, how am I showing my value? How do I proceed, advance in the career ladder? I've, I've got the opposite experience. I've been working from home since mid nineties. Most of my clients are international. Right. You know, when I've got a, when I, it's great when I got a call that includes Hong Kong or Singapore and Geneva, I'm the guy in the middle. Yeah. I'm I'm thinking more of the, the state farm call center that was here in town Yeah, that over COVID everybody had to go home and work. And then they quickly realized, oh, your manager can, instead of overlooking your shoulder, can still get on her headset and pipe in and listen to your call and verify. So you're just, and, and they tracking, you know, they know how many calls you're taking, I mean, you're making them, you're settling. So then they said, oh, well, we don't need this, you know, million square foot office, whatever it is. Uh, so they, you know, it's up for sublease. And now, the, so now those workers, they don't, they don't need to pay an increased salary for a call center job for people living in Austin because it's so expensive to live here. You can live in San Antonio, El Paso, Indiana, India, wherever. I wish my employees would come to work. It's lonely here. <laughs> no, but it's, I mean, it's just, it's a different feel when, when you do have employees in the office. The, the camaraderie and the uh, creativity and the thought sharing, it, it's, you can't replace it. Right. Culture and collaboration becomes an intentional exercise instead of something that's done in the background, right? And that's not something we're used to, right? You have the water cooler and there's, there's a balance, right? Whether you mandate people coming in the office or you structure it around. I mean, one of the things that I'd be, I haven't seen anything since they, they, they wrote their big memo, but I'd be curious how it's playing out was when Dropbox said, okay, we're, we're going to look, we are a digital sharing company. So let's eat the dog food. We are going for digital, you know, virtual digital effect, which word they happen to use first. And, but we're transforming all of our offices to Dropbox studios, right? right? So the, the point is they are there for collaboration. They are there for, like, if I'm sitting next to you guys doing PowerPoint, I don't know what the value of us sitting next to each other is. Um, but if we're talking about, like, a deep strategy collaboration type session, great. That's, I don't, I don't want to do that over Zoom. That's going to make me want to poke my eyes out. Yep. Um, but then, yeah, the, the pieces that happened in the background and those kind of informal networks, you know, how do those work? 
I asked some questions on whether that really happens or not, only because if you were the, the, the open office Harvard study from a number of right. years ago, where there, you know, so um, I think it was Microsoft that was switching over and they had these researchers who said, hey, we're going to actually look at the interaction data that had badges and all this kind of stuff before you went to open office. And then after you went to open office, and of course, the the theory and the, the, the promise that's pitched, there's greater collaboration when you go to an open office and that study came out and said, nope, absolutely, absolutely not. not. You know, people are, are, I am more, I mean, I went from a, uh, you know, classic cube farm to, uh, you know, a, an open office when I uh, switched companies a number of years ago. And the first thing people said to me was like, oh, make sure and get like good noise canceling headphones. headphones. Yeah. I was like, no, absolutely. What the, what's the point? Right. Like, like if, if <laughs> I'm blocking everybody out, yeah, if I'm blocking everybody out, why, why were we doing this? Right. So but you know why they were doing it, right? Oh, it's cheaper. Yeah. So that's, yeah. so that's where I'm convinced the hybrid model ends in, in the end is, is a, an every other day in the office hoteling model where you're sharing your desk with somebody every other day. And somehow maybe you switch or you're in the office with different people. So you're having twice as many people in the same footprint. You're giving them the flexibility working from home. Um, traffic's lighter. Traffic's lighter. I don't um, want pre-COVID traffic. You know, I mean, because at the end yeah. of the day, the corporations are going to do what serves them best. Usually, the bottom line in the, for the stock, and that's and that's. Well, if I can, if I can increase innovation and productivity and decrease cost, that is good for everybody, right? Because right? there's no doubt you can be more productive. Most cases at home for one day, you have something you need to do. Sure. It's probably going to be more productive. You just sit at home at your office kitchen table without kids and pets and, and focus and do it. We, we probably all agree to that. You get distracted in the office. So there is that balance. And I, and I, I really feel that that's where it's going to come down to for majority of people is, is the hoteling every other day. And it's going to make the hotels happy because when you do have those group meetings, you're not going to be able to do it in smaller footprint. You're right. going to need that larger room the every seventh floor, the option. No, no, no. I'm talking about the actual hotel. Oh, the actual, you yeah, know, filling up. They're going to need to have those ballrooms yeah. that they can put, you know, super fast Wi-Fi or whatever in and let everybody bring their, their laptops in and they're going to collaborate for a day. Or, maybe, or maybe a $2 billion convention center. Do we, do we have opinions on that? Uh, <laughs> different business. Uh, we, we, uh, you just go stay at the Hotel Ella when, oh, when the rooms are added to it. Yeah, they're going to add enough rooms and Peter's going to do a good job there. And I'm sure it's going to be decked out and it's going to be great. Cigar bar. Has anybody bought any Hotel Ella? I have not. I have not. I did not qualify. I asked if he could co-sponsor me <laughs> and I got a ha ha, sure. <laughs> it, you'd, you'd qualify if you just filled out the paperwork. <laughs> Is that all it was? It's funny it's, it's that on the there's, honor system? there's oh. paperwork for the yeah. haves and the have nots. Yeah, that's too bad. That's a whole nother podcast topic. <laughs> Well, I mean, so like, it's interesting, right? So I, I, I think blockchain as a technology has obviously has value and we, we dove into the, you know, the hotel and the decentralization of the ownership and my understanding of a REIT versus this. And Peter was nice enough to kind of like structure that out. Right. And like, look, me personally, I've got a little bit of Bitcoin, a little bit of uh, Ethereum. I think that, uh, you know, Ethereum is more interesting and without even getting into the, the whole merge, which is beyond my understanding of just like, okay, I think it's supposed to be faster and cheaper, right? right. Um, Use less energy. But I think, you know, so, but I think the smart contracts, and I think that that's interesting. I, I will be surprised to see what happens with Bitcoin now, because, you know, I invested in it more as a proxy for the space, right? And then now we have Coinbase can serve pretty much more easily method of a proxy for the space. And I'm sure we'll have ETFs and the like as well. And then also the fact that it's not you know, it's acting more like a risk asset than it mm -hmm. is acting like an inflation hedge. Which right. is like, oh, well, would have been nice if it had 
acted the way we thought it was going to act <laughs> right now, you know? You know, the big, the big advantage of what Peter's doing and in more general using NFTs for property is it's easier to transact. It costs a lot less to transact and it allows more people to transact. And if we can do that, then we were able to bring in the kinds of funds that will enable people to do on a more general basis. We're, I'm on the, the Texas Blockchain Council's policy committee, and we're looking at how to, how to make financing easier using NFTs. And gee, one of the guys said, yeah, right after this meeting, I'm meeting with Moody's and two days from now I'm meeting with S&P and I'm like, go, because once they approve these formats, then you're not going to have the problem of funds coming into EFT-based investments, whether it's a Hotel Ella or somebody who wants to get a, quote, mortgage, unquote, using NFTs for their property. And that's where you get lots of interesting variations like co-ownership of a property or selling off some of your equity and doing all this interesting stuff. Because coming out of the banking world, when my bank came into Texas, we had to learn a whole set of rules because at the time, Texas didn't allow home equity loans. They were one of the last states to allow that. And it was like, what are we going to sell? <laughs> How are we going to do this <laughs> kind of thing? So we, right. we were talking about it briefly this morning, just with regards to my understanding, if, if they really figure out how to incorporate blockchain into real estate and it reduces some fees, it takes some middlemen out of it. Are some of those middlemen big enough that they don't want that to happen because then they're going to lose that fee structure. It's like I'm in the low voltage world and I'm trying to take on like Romex and the big wire manufacturers, and they're quick to kind of stifle you because they don't want their business to change. I think it's where, it, so it's not going to happen overnight. And I think is where, where, it, where I see it potentially taking off is the, apparently there's two younger generations that are not like the rest of us. And so there, I think they would be more apt to jump on board and just like they weren't in probably, very stereotypical probably, they weren't into uh, investing in stocks until the, the Robin hood GameStop deal. Right. And then that got them for whatever reason, then they think now they're stock traders and they're doing it. Same thing with NFTs, just cause it's an NFT, a blockchain, whatever the term is. Um, you know, they're like, Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm in, I'm, I'm going to invest in, in an office building cause I can buy it with my yeah. Bitcoin. Well, but I have absolutely no concern about the big title factories, first American and those kind of guys trying to crush blockchain. I know that I'm sure that they've got plenty of people in their campus who are figuring out exactly how they're going to make money with it. And how to, how to get a piece of the pie. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, we used to be in the business. We used to take all this property data, we'd ship it off to, to the Philippines, have it all key punched and then sent back the next morning. Well, now I just eliminated those guys. Cool. I can do that. That's mm -hmm. easy. But what we're doing with the data, how we're doing with it, the creativity around what kinds of instruments we can create using NFTs as a proxy for a traditional mortgage. Don't worry about the big guys worrying yeah. about this. They'll find a way to make it happen and, and we'll just follow along and take advantage of pieces we can. I imagine you're both going on Wednesday to the blockchain council meeting at Hotel Ella. I can't make it. Yeah, I wish I could. I'm just a uh, passive observer in this space. Uh, gotcha. it's, it's been actually fascinating to see it when, as blockchain keeps coming up in the health space, because it is a hammer, you know, looking for a nail. Mm -hmm. Like a great example is like, hey, we're going to build, you know, blockchain and there's you know, 
100 companies, some of this, a blockchain that's gonna have the data, you know, be living with the patient and it's gonna go around. I'm like, okay, the problem is not the database. The problem is hospital A and hospital B don't wanna share data. I could have a businesses, right? I could have <laughs> yes. closed data. I could, uh, I could blockchain. I could have a regular, you know, database. It isn't going to solve the problem, right? That you're, that you're trying to, now, I think there probably are use cases in this space, but, um, you know, mostly I haven't quite seen it yet. And so, uh, 